Welcome to the Thomistic Institute podcast. Our mission is to promote the Catholic intellectual tradition in the university, the church, and the wider public square. The lectures on this podcast are organized by university students at Thomistic Institute chapters around the world. To learn more and to attend these events, visit us at ThomisticInstitute.org. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here at the University of Florida. We'll begin with the first words of the Bible in St. Augustine's way of reading the Bible, and then a prayer. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Let us pray. Almighty God, we praise you that you created all things in the beginning, in your Son, in wisdom. We ask you now to pour forth the Holy Spirit upon us, that we, with your servant, our teacher, St. Augustine, may marvel at creation and rise up to you. We make this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Our Lady, Seat of Wisdom, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. This talk is titled, Creation in St. Augustine's Confessions. I'd like for us first to review the Confessions, this masterwork of St. Augustine of Hippo, to look particularly at the opening of the Confessions, and then I will articulate 10 teachings about creation that we can find in St. Augustine's Confessions before the conclusion. First, we consider just what is this work called the Confessions? I think it's useful to go back to how St. Augustine himself describes it when a few years before he died, he wrote his Retractaciones, or Revisions. And he has, within this work, a way of reviewing all his major works. And he says, the 13 books of my Confessions concern both my good and my, sorry, the 13 books of my Confessions concern both my bad and my good actions for which they praise our just and good God. In so doing, they arouse the human mind and affection towards him. As far as I'm concerned, they had this effect upon me in my writing of them and still do when I read them now. What others think about them is for them to say, but I know that they have given pleasure in the past and still do give pleasure to many of my brethren. The first 10 books were written about myself the last three about Holy Scripture, from the words, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth, as far as the Sabbath rest. St. Augustine began writing the Confessions in 397, the year of St. Ambrose of Milan's death, which was 10 years after Augustine's baptism in Milan, and a couple years after Augustine became the Bishop of Hippo. He finished the Confessions in 400 or 401, so it took about four years, three or four years, to write the Confessions. And in the Retractaciones, the revisions, he specifies what the Confessions are all about. Again, what are they all about? They concern both my bad and my good actions. Some people don't like to think of the Confessions as autobiography. Okay, so you can find certain works that say, oh, it's not really autobiography. Well. It's literature that St. Augustine says about, that's about my bad and my good actions, and that the Confessions praise 
our just and good God. So concerning his bad actions, they point us to the just God. The good actions, they point us to the good God. You see the parallelism? And then how these confessions in praising arouse the human mind and affection. They arouse, they stir, they excite the human intellect and affect, the knowing and the loving, all in praise of God. And so that's where the confessions really have as their end praising God, to praise God. And that St. Augustine divides up the confessions in the 13 books with basically part one, books one through 10, and he says about me and books 11 through 13 about Holy Scripture. So if you're familiar with the confessions, some will read books one through nine and think it's about Augustine's life. And then you have this book 10, which some say it's about memory. And then some people say books 11 through 13 are about philosophical treatises. Mm. Again, for Augustine, books 1 through 10 are about me. Books 11 through 13, about Holy Scripture. And within Holy Scripture, you really can see that books 11 and 12 are about Genesis 1-1. And then the final book, book 13, continues that account of creation up into the Sabbath rest, so what we call the beginning of chapter 2 of Genesis. There have literally been thousands of studies on St. Augustine's Confessions. It is uh, certainly one of the most beautiful, attractive works of Latin Christianity ever. St. Augustine himself wrote uh, about five million words, okay? Five million words. We, he, he probably preached about 6,000 times, but we have only about 900 sermons from him. But of all the words that we have when he's reviewing his works in the Retractaciones, it's the confessions that really can see, that you can see how Augustine himself was moved and how others were moved. Now, he does say, uh, as far as I'm concerned, they had this effect upon me and my writing of them and still do when I read them now. What others think about them is for them to say. Well, there was a, a British monk by the name of Pelagius who heard the confessions read in Rome, and he heard from book 10 of the confessions, give what you command and command what you will, as Augustine's prayer to God. And Augustine himself heard about Pelagius's reaction, which was violent. That Pelagius got very upset and, and made a stir in the room where the confessions were being read out loud. What do you think about the confessions? For me, I love them. The more I read the confessions, the more I love them. And Augustine would say, but do you love God more? Because what's the purpose of the confessions? To lift up the intellect and affect our knowing and loving in praise of God. And so he can, in confidence, before God and in front of the people, tell everybody about his good actions, his bad actions, because they praise the just and good God.
Of all the different kinds of secondary literature about Augustine's confessions, I'd like for us especially to be attentive to the teaching on creation, and that there's one uh, work that I particularly recommend to you. Jared Ortiz has a book called You Have Made Us for Yourself, Creation and St. Augustine's Confessions from Fortress Press in 2016. So if you want to have a really fine secondary work, a book, just on creation and Augustine's Confessions, because I've been asked to speak about creation this evening, you could go to that book. Now, I'm not going to repeat simply Ortiz's argument. In fact, I've given a different argument, uh, but, uh, but I highly recommend his work. I'd like for us to look at the opening of the Confessions and how Jared Ortiz's title comes from that opening which is so famous. Again, the lead title is You Have Made Us For Yourself. Listen to how St. Augustine began. Great are you, O Lord, and exceedingly praiseworthy. Your power is great, and there is no counting of your wisdom. And man, some portion of your creation, wants to praise you. And man, caring about his mortality, caring about the testimony of the sin and the testimony that you resist the proud. Nevertheless, man, some portion of your creation, wants to praise you. You stir him so that he may delight to praise you because you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. So how is the human being described? The human being is a little portion of your creation, a little, a little something, a little something of your creature. And this is something that God made. You and I, are things within creation that God made, and he made us for himself. Quia fecisti nos ad te, because you made us ad te, for you, to go to you. Et inquietum es cor nostrum donec requiescat in te, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. You see how then that creation is made for the creator and that we then are able to go to the creator precisely in doing what is most authentic in our being and that is to praise him, to praise him. Now from this I'd like for us to consider 10 teachings of creation in St. Augustine's Confessions and I have excerpts from the Confessions. So that way I can give you something, and these following quotations are taken from Sister Maria Bolding's translation in the New City Press Works of St. Augustine series. The first one that I've selected, so there are 10 teachings, the first one is, the all-powerful God creates from nothing, in Latin, from nothing, ex nihilo. This is from the last book of the, of the Confessions, Confessions 13. Your creation sings praise to you so that we may love you. And we love you so that praise may be offered to you by your creation. Created things have their beginning and their end in time, their rising and setting, their growth and decline, their beauty of form and their formlessness. And thus they have morning and evening, though sometimes this is hidden, sometimes plainly seen. Inevitably so, because they were made by you out of nothing not made from you, 
nor from any matter not of your making, nor from anything pre-existent, but from concreated matter. That is, matter which you created formless at the same instant that you gave it form without any interval. Although the primal matter of heaven and earth is something other than the form of heaven and earth, you made their matter from nothingness and their formed condition from unformed matter, and both simultaneously, so that form followed on the heels of matter without the least interruption or lapse of time. All right, what's this all about? God is God, and when God says, let there be light, when God creates heaven and earth, he doesn't use stuff for his creation that somehow pre-existed or that was eternal with him. This is different from a Manichaean way of thinking. St. Augustine spent about nine years of his life with the Manichaeans, and they thought that the world was created out of a struggle, that God was a light force battling a dark force, and that bits of God then broke off into the different kinds of darknesses. It's weird. St. Augustine believed it for years. And then he received the faith to know the meaning of the first words of Scripture and how God really did say, let there be light, and from out of nothing there was light. This means that creation is radically dependent upon God. And St. Augustine says, because sometimes people will look at those those uh, beginning words of, of the creation account to think about the chaos. St. Augustine says, at that time, when time began to exist, there was a formless matter, and then God created from this concreated matter. So at the same time, he created both the, what you call the, could call the chaos, the formless matter, prime matter, and then actual form. So this is a huge thing that God created out of nothing. Nothing. Second principle, God is eternal. Creation is temporal. Not only are things made out of nothing, but God really is eternal and his world is not eternal. Okay? Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, by the way, in the 13th century upset some people because he said, philosophically, God could have created eternally. Right? But the Catholic faith teaches that God is eternal and creation is temporal. Creation is not eternal. St. Augustine first thinks about this in Book 1, where he talks about this in connection with his infancy. My infancy has been so long dead now, whereas I am alive. But you, O Lord, are ever living, and in you nothing dies. For you exist before the dawn of the ages, before anything that can be called before. You are God and Lord of everything that you have created. In you stand firm the causes of all unstable things. In you the unchangeable origins of all changeable things abide. In you live the eternal ideas of all irrational and transient creatures. Augustine, in looking back on his infancy, realizes that his infancy no longer exists. That infancy, in a sense, died. Okay? I don't remember when I was born. I don't remember 
my first days out of the womb. I don't remember my time in the womb. Do you? The infancy is gone. Where did it go? Where did it come from? Augustine, by thinking about this thing that changes, that is true, we know that we were little, very, very little, but we don't remember. In thinking about this, he thinks about God who never changes, who is eternal, but within his eternal intellect has divine ideas. That each of us has been an idea in God forever. It doesn't mean that we existed forever, but it means that God exists forever. He, he is who is, and that he doesn't change. It's a radical difference then to know that God is eternal and that he has created something in time. Or to go back to Confessions Book 11, St. Augustine says, I will set about replying to the questioner who asks, what was God doing before he made heaven and earth? This is kind of famous. But I will not respond with that joke someone is said to have made. He was getting hell ready for people who inquisitively peer into deep matters. Okay? Notice how Augustine says, I'm not going to make that joke. Some people just remember the joke and, and that it comes from Augustine. He's just repeating a joke. For this is to evade the force of the question. It is one thing to see the solution and something different to make fun of the problem. So I'll not give that reply. I would rather have answered, well, I do not know. I do not know. Simple, right? What I do not know, I do not know. Oh, if only more people would be so honest. <laughs> well, I do not know, I do not know. Then have cracked a joke that exposed a serious questioner to ridicule and won applause for giving an untrue answer. Instead, I will state that you, our God, are the creator of every created thing. And if we take heaven and earth to cover all that is created, I boldly make this assertion. Before God made heaven and earth, he was not doing anything. For if he was doing or making something, what else would he be doing but creating? And no creature was made before any creature was made. I wish I could know everything that as I do know. I wish I could know everything that I desire to know to my own profit with the same certainty with which I know that. Okay? So we can't really know because there was nothing that he would have been doing because it's something other than God creation. So Augustine then just wants us to see how there's this radical difference of God's eternity and creation's temporality. The third principle or teaching, everything that God created is good. In Confessions Book 13, St. Augustine prays, and you looked upon all the things you have made, O God, and lo, they are exceedingly good. We too look upon them, and even in our eyes they are exceedingly good. In every successful act of creation, you had commanded some class of creature to be, and it came into being, and you saw that each was good. Seven times, according to my count, the scripture relate that you looked on what you have made and found it good. But this eighth time, you looked on all your works together, and lo, not merely are they good, but taken as a whole, they're exceedingly good, severally good. They're exceedingly good altogether. Every beautiful body conveys the same message, for a body consisting of beautiful limbs is far more beautiful than its component parts individually. 
because though each one has its own loveliness, it is only through their exquisite coordination that the whole organism attains its perfection. Everything that God created is good. Everything. And especially when you see this all together. To have the big picture in mind. God's view of everything. It is very good. The fourth teaching, creation bears traces of its creator. I'd like for us to listen to book 10. St. Augustine says, but what am I loving when I love you? Not beauty of body, nor transient grace, not this fair light which is now friendly to my eyes, not melodious song in all its lovely harmonies, not the sweet fragrance of flowers or ointments or spices, not manna or honey, not limbs that draw me to carnal embrace. None of these do I love when I love my God. And yet, I do love a kind of light, a kind of voice, a certain fragrance, a food and an embrace when I love my God. A light, voice, fragrance, food, and embrace from my inmost self, where something limited to no place shines into my mind, where something not snatched away by passing time sings for me, where something no breath blows away yields to me its scent, where there is savor undiminished by famished eating, and where I am clasped in a union from which no satiety can tear me away. This is what I love when I love my God. There are all sorts of things in creation to love. God gave us senses. We have these five external senses. And what St. Augustine does is he uses these senses to be able to think about how God can be perceived, spiritually sensed in the inmost soul. But looking out on creation, Augustine continues, and what is this? I put my question to the earth, and it replied, I am not he. I questioned everything it held, and they confessed the same. I questioned the sea and the great deep, and the teeming live creatures that crawl, and they replied, We are not gods, seek higher. I questioned the gusty winds, and every breeze with all its flying creatures told me, An examinees was wrong, I am not God. To the sky I put my question, to sun, moon, stars, but they denied me. We are not the God you seek. And to all things which stood around the portals of my flesh, I said, tell me of my God. You are not he, but tell me something of him. Then they lifted up their mighty voices and cried, he made us. My questioning was my attentive spirit, and their reply, their beauty. All of these things, from the lowest to the, various, to the very highest, bear traces of the one who made them. St. Augustine continues in Book 10, Then toward myself I turned and asked myself, Who are you? And I answered my own question, a man. See, here are the body and soul that make up myself, the one outward and the other within. 
Through which of these should I seek my God? With my body's senses, I had already sought him from earth to heaven, to the farthest place whither I could send the darting rays of my eyes. But what lay within me was better. And to this, all those bodily messengers reported back, for it controlled and judged the replies of sky and earth, and of all the creatures dwelling in them, all those who had proclaimed, we are not God, and he made us. My inner self recognized them all through the service of the outer. I, who was that inmost self, I, who was my mind, knew them through the senses of my body, and so I questioned the vast frame of the world concerning my God, and it answered, I am not he, but he made me. Augustine is realizing the mystery of his own creation. You are body and soul. You are not just simply a body that experiences external things through sensation. You have an immortal soul made to the image of God. You, you then, as body and soul, are called to seek God, to praise him. God wants us to realize that the beauty of creation is to lift us up to him. Number five, the creator uses his creation to draw us to him, although we may simply misuse his creation. Again, from book 10 of the Confessions, St. Augustine prays, and this is the, most likely the most famous prayer of Augustine's writings. Late have I loved you, beauty so ancient and so new. Late have I loved you. Lo, you were within, but I outside, seeking there for you. And upon the shapely things you have made, I rushed headlong, I misshapen. You were with me, but I was not with you. They held me back far from you, those things which would have no being were they not in you. You called, shouted, broke through my deafness. You flared, blazed, banished my blindness. You lavished your fragrance, I gasped, and now I pant for you. I tasted you, and I hunger and thirst. You touched me, and I burned for your peace. These things of creation are to speak to us of the creator. But when we sin, we have a preference for the creature over the creator. Every sin is, in some sense, a preference for the creature over the creator. St. Augustine, in one of his homilies on 1 John, uses the example of a bride who receives a wedding ring from her, from her lover, from, the, from her husband. And the husband then goes away, and she has her ring. And she says to herself, I have the ring. I no longer want to see his face. And Augustine then says to his people, you are the bride. All of creation is given to you as a ring from the creator. Seek his face always. 
Do not let the beautiful things of creation, the ring that God gives to you, be some sort of substitute for God. St. Paul says to the Corinthians, all things are yours. All things are yours. Think about it. Think about what God has done for us in creating, in creating you and me to be in the midst of this creation and to be able to see all of the world, all of the beautiful things of the world as like the wedding ring of God. Don't prefer the wedding ring to God. St. Augustine prays in Book 4 of the Confessions, Turn us toward yourself, O God of hosts. Show us your face and we shall be saved. For wheresoever a human soul turns, it can but cling to what brings sorrow unless it turns to you. Cling, though it may to beautiful things outside you and outside itself. For St. Augustine, there are particularly these two kinds of loving, udi and fruwi, to use and to enjoy. To enjoy means to cling for, to cling to something for its own sake. St. Augustine teaches that we are to cling to God, to enjoy God for his own sake. And everything else, we're to be able to give up. For some people, that sounds harsh. But think about death. At the moment of death, do you want to cling to the things of the world, or do you want to cling to God? If that's true at the moment of your death, why can't it be true now, at this very moment? To be able to give up the beautiful things of this earth, of all creation, even our life, for the sake of God, who made us for himself. But when we sin, we prefer something of this creation to the creator. St. Augustine prays in book two of the Confessions, O good God, creator of all things and more beautiful than all of them, those pears we stole did have a certain beauty because they were a creation, Yours, O God, who are the highest good and the true good for me. Those pears were beautiful, but they were not what my miserable soul loved. I had plenty of better ones, and I plucked them only for the sake of stealing. For once, for once picked, I threw them away. I feasted on the sin, nothing else, and that I relished and enjoyed. Pears? What's he talking about? In book two, he's a kid with his friends who go out one night and they steal all sorts of pears. Why? Who knows? Augustine says, they weren't really that attractive. They weren't really that, they, they were beautiful, but come on, they're pears. Uh, I had better ones at home. <coughs> what he, he's exploring the mystery of sin. There is no sufficient explanation for any sin. Why? Sin is against right reason. If you just think, oh, why did I do that? 
Or why did he do that? Or why did she do that? Or why are they doing that to me? You will not find a sufficient reason. Why? Because there's something unintelligible about sin. Because sin is against right reason. God is truth. Every sin is against his truth. Augustine then uses the story of the pear tree in a way that you can think about, oh, another tree. Hmm, a tree in Genesis, perhaps, like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? I, why did Adam and Eve eat from that tree? They had lots of other trees. There was only one tree that they were forbidden to eat from. Now, Augustine, again, was with the Manichees for about nine years. They had their own account of why we are in this world. And for the Manichees, they believe in this dualism where God is light but has a sort of mass as light, okay, because they're materialists. And then you have the force of darkness. So Augustine in Book 5 says, consistently with this, I believe that there was a similar substance of evil as well, a dark, deformed mass. This is either gross and called earth or ethereal and rarefied like an airy body, which the Manichees picture as a malevolent mind creeping about through the earth. Some kind of reverence on my part forced me to believe that a good God could not have created any evil nature. So I mentally constructed two masses opposed to each other. Both were, were infinite, but the evil one I conceived rather more nearly, the good on a larger scale. From this tainted premise, other sacrilegious ideas followed. When my mind attempted to speed back once more to the Catholic faith, I was repelled because the Catholic faith is not what I thought it was. Isn't that quite an insight? The Catholic faith is not what I thought it was. Augustine was mistaken for years about the Catholic faith. He continues, Furthermore, it seemed to me more reverend, O God, God, to whom your own merciful dealings with me confess, to believe that you were at any rate infinite on all other sides, even though I was forced to admit that you were finite on that one side where the mass of evil opposed you, than to hold that you were limited on every side by the form of a human body. Since in my ignorance I thought that evil was not only a substance, but even a bodily substance, for I did not know how to envisage a mind except as an ethereal body spread out through space, it seemed to me better to believe that you had not created any evil than to believe than what I thought of as the nature of evil could have proceeded from you. All right, so Augustine, in his Manichaean thinking, was a materialist and thought that evil was like a blob, a big blob, but God was a bigger blob. And he was mostly infinite, but really, as a Manichae, he thought that God had to be fighting evil. Like, who's going to win? Okay, they're in a struggle. And he didn't like the Catholic faith. For one reason, he thought that scripture was just poorly written. He, um, it, that for a while, he thought the Manichaeans had a better idea than the Catholics, and then and then he just couldn't understand. He couldn't understand humility. Number six, the human being is a special creation made to the image of God. 
We saw this a bit earlier, and I just want to continue this first with memory in Book 10. This faculty of memory is a great one, oh my God, exceedingly great, a vast, infinite recess. Who can plumb its death, depth? This is a faculty of my mind, belonging to my nature, yet I cannot myself comprehend all that I am. Is the mind then too narrow to grasp itself, forcing us to ask where that part of it is which it is incapable of grasping? Is it outside the mind, not inside? How can the mind not compass it? Enormous wonder wells up within me when I think of this, and I am dumbfounded. People go to admire lofty mountains and huge breakers at sea and crashing waterfalls and vast stretches of ocean and the dance of the stars, but they leave themselves behind out of sight. That line, by the way, is particularly famous for the 14th century Petrarch's way of saying that he read that when he climbed Mount Venu. So he climbed Mount Venu opened up the confessions and found that line. And he was admiring the scenery. And then he realized that with confessions, what should he think about? His inmost self. Again, enormous wonder wells up with me when I think of this. And I am dumbfounded. People go to admire lofty mountains and huge breakers at sea and crashing waterfalls and vast stretches of ocean and the dance of the stars, but they leave themselves behind out of sight. Don't leave yourself behind. Go inside. Find the mystery of your own being in God. Do not take for your life for granted. Know that God is your loving God, and he has made you for himself. St. Augustine is particularly famous for what in the 20th century is called a psychological analogy for the Trinity. So that it's analogy, it's a way of thinking about the Holy Trinity, because the Holy Trinity has made us for himself, and that there are Trinitarian patterns, patterns in our own being. He has many different kinds of Trinitarian pattering, patter, patterns, patterns. He says, can anyone comprehend the Almighty Trinity? This is Confessions Book 13. Everyone talks about it, but is it really the Trinity of which they talk? Rare indeed is the person who understands the subject of his discourse when he speaks of that. People argue and wrangle over it, Yet no one sees that vision unless he is at peace. I wish they would turn their attention to the triad they have within themselves. It is, to be sure, a triad far distant from the Trinity, but I propose it as a topic on which they may exercise their minds by ways of experiment and in order to make clear to themselves how great the difference is. The triad I mean is being, knowledge, and will. I am and I know and I will. Knowingly and willingly, I exist. I know that I am and that I will. I will to be and to know. Let anyone with the wit to see, how, to see it observe how in these three there is one inseparable life. There is one life, one mind, and one essence. How inseparable they are in their distinctness, yet distinction there is. Everyone has himself readily, readily available for inspection, 
Let each then scrutinize himself and see what he can find and tell me. Now, the seventh teaching is before the human was made, the angels were made, and they are in the heaven's heaven. You mean there are other intelligent creatures in creation? Yes, many, vast, and far more intelligent. They're the angels. So listen to what St. Augustine says in Book 12. This is the reason why the spirit who instructed your servant Moses says nothing about time and is silent on the subject of days when he records that you made heaven and earth in the beginning. It is clear that this heaven's heaven, which you made in the beginning, is some kind of intellectual creation. Participating in your eternity, though in no sense co-eternal with you, O Trinity, this intellectual creation largely transcends its mutability through the intense bliss it enjoys in contemplation of you, and by holding fast to you with a constancy from which it has never fallen since its first creation, is independent of the spinning changes of time. The angels, once they were created, have a special participation in eternity in heaven's heaven. And St. Augustine takes the words of our Lord seriously, that we are to be equal with the angels, and that the saints are to be in the same heavenly society with the angels, that we are to be caught up in the heaven's heaven, and so that that there will no longer be uh, a morning and an evening in creation, okay? but that God will give his light. <coughs> God will give his light forever and ever. Now from this, I want us now to go back to that line, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Not in so many Bibles today, when in the beginning, but just simply in the beginning. The Latin word for beginning is principium. And there are various traditions that say that beginning is particularly a word that describes Christ, the Son, the eternal wisdom of the Father. He is the beginning. And so, God the Father creates through his word, who is his son, the beginning. Confessions, book eight. How foolish are they who know not God. So many good things before their eyes, yet him who is, they fail to see. I was trapped in that foolishness no longer, for I left it behind by hearkening to the concerted witness of your whole creation and had discovered you, our creator, and your word, who dwells with you and is with you, this one soul God, through whom you have created all things. Right now, St. Augustine read the books of the Platonists while he's in Milan before he receives a grace of conversion. And he reads in the books of the Platonists something that he also read at the beginning of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Something like that is actually in the books of the Platonists. But he says, Nowhere in those books did I find, and the word was made flesh. And what St. Augustine needed was the flesh of the word. He needed not just simply things of nature, he needed grace. St. Augustine is called the doctor of grace. All nature, 
all creation speaks of the Creator, but it's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that saves us, that heals us, that gives us a new vision of what everything around us is about, and frankly, of what we ourselves are all about. St. Augustine says <coughs> in Confession Book 7, Accordingly, I look for a way to gain the strength I needed to enjoy you. Remember, what's our goal? To love God by enjoyment, to cling to him for his own sake. Accordingly, I look for a way to gain the strength I needed to enjoy you, but I did not find it until I embraced the mediator between God and humankind, the man Christ Jesus, who also is God, supreme over all things and blessed forever. Not yet had I embraced him, though he called out, proclaiming, I am the way and the truth and the life. Nor had I known him as the food, which, though I was not yet strong enough to eat it, he had mingled with our flesh. For the word became flesh, so that your wisdom, through whom you created all things, might become for us the milk adapted to our infancy. Not yet was I humble enough to grasp the humble Jesus as my God, nor did I know what his weakness had to teach. Your word, the eternal truth, who towers above all the higher spheres of your creation, raises us up to himself, those creatures who bow before him. But in these lower regions, he has built himself a humble dwelling from our clay and used it to cast down from their pretentious selves those who do not know, those who do not bow before him, and make a bridge to bring them to himself. He heals their swollen pride and nourishes their love that they may not wander even further away through self-confidence, but rather weaken as they see before their feet the Godhead grown weak by sharing our garments of skin and wearily fling themselves down upon him so that he may arise and lift them up. Jesus Christ has made himself the way to the Father. What do you know about a way? You walk on it. The eternal Son of God has come down to our feet so that way we, rather than being puffed up in pride and self-pretensions, may weaken and fall down in humility and find Jesus and let Jesus lift us up to his Father. The final principle I'd like to communicate from St. Augustine's teaching in the Confessions is number 10, about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Father and the Son in the mystery of the Holy Trinity, and the Trinity is not creation. The Holy Spirit allows us to see that God is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and everything else that exists is creation. St. Augustine says in Confessions Book 13, Ah, now I have found what I was looking for. In symbolic form, a trinity now dawns clear for me, the trinity which is yourself, my God. You, Father, made heaven and earth in that beginning who originates our wisdom, that is to say, in the wisdom who is your Son, co-equal and co-eternal with yourself. And already we have spoken at length of heaven's heaven, and of the invisible and unorganized earth, and spoken to of the abyss, dark with the unstable flux of spiritual formlessness, and destined so to remain until it should be converted to him from which it drew such life as it had. But once illuminated by him, it was transformed into a life so beautiful 
that it became the heaven overarching the other heavenly vault to be established later between upper and lower waters. I understood already that the name God signified the Father who made these things, and the name Beginning, the Son in whom he made them. And believing as I did that my God is a trinity, I sought for a trinity among his holy utterances, and there was your spirit poised above the waters. Here then is the trinity who is my God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, creator of the whole created universe. So that mighty wind, or that mighty breath, the mighty spirit, the spirit of God, is there at the beginning of creation. Now before we have questions and answers, I'd like for us now to go to the very conclusion of the Confessions. This is, again, from Book 13. Think back, how does Augustine want to conclude his work? Books 1 through 10 are about me, he says. Books 11 through 13 are about sacred scripture from in the beginning God created heaven and earth and then all the way to the Sabbath rest. What was that opening prayer about? Our heart is restless until it rests in you. So St. Augustine in the conclusion prays, give us peace. Give us peace, Lord God, for you have given us all else. Give us the peace that is repose, the peace of the Sabbath, the peace that knows no evening. This whole order of exceedingly good things, intensely beautiful as it is, will pass away when it has served its purpose. These things, too, will have their morning and their evening. Recall, Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Everything, everything, will pass away. Everything that is created will pass away, but that's not the end. Augustine continues, but the seventh day has no evening and sinks toward no sunset, for you sanctified it that it might abide forever. After completing your exceedingly good works, you rested on the seventh day, though you achieved them in repose, and you willed your book, you willed your book to tell us this as a promise that when our works are finished, works exceedingly good as inasmuch as they are your gift to us, we too may rest in you in the Sabbath of eternal life. And then you will rest in us as you now work in us. And your rest will be rest through us, as now those works of yours are wrought through us. But you yourself, Lord, are ever working, ever resting. You neither see for a time, nor change for a time, nor enjoy repose for a time. Yet you, you create our temporal seeing and time itself, and our repose after time. What is Augustine, what is Augustine meaning here? God works through us now. He works through us in all sorts of ways, most especially in the life of grace, for he's the one working through us when we do anything good. And then, if we come into his Sabbath rest, God will let his rest go through all of us. He will rest in us to take us up all into his rest. 
St. Augustine continues, we see, therefore, these things you have made because they exist, but for you it is different. They exist because you see them. Do you get that? Yeah. I see you because you exist. You exist because God sees you. Our seeing is receptive to what is, to reality. Reality is receptive to who God is. Because let there be light, and there was light. He sees things, and they come to be. Augustine continues, Moreover, when we see that they exist, we see it outside ourselves. But when we see that they are good, we see it by an inner vision. Whereas you see them as created in no other place than where you saw them as non-existent things you will to create. We see with our eyes outside of ourselves, but then inside we make a judgment. We see, oh yes, that's good. You are good. God has no inner and outer. Once, once our heart had conceived by your spirit, we made a fresh start and began to act well. Once we had that grace of the spirit, we began to act well, though at an earlier stage we had been impelled to wrongdoing and abandoned you. But you, O oh God, undivided and good, have never ceased to act well. Some of our works are indeed good, thanks to your gift, but they will not last forever. And when they are done, we hope that we, will, we shall rest in your immense holiness. But you, the supreme good, need no other good and are eternally at rest, because you yourself are your rest. And then here are the final words. What human can empower another human to understand these things? What angel can grant understanding to another angel? What angel to a human? Let us rather ask of you, seek in you, knock at your door. Only so will we receive, only so find, and only so will the door be open to us. Amen. Thanks for listening to this lecture on the Thomistic Institute podcast. The generosity of people like you makes this podcast possible. If you enjoy these talks, please consider showing your support at www.thomisticinstitute.org slash donate. Your donation of even a dollar helps us reach more college students and many others with the powerful truths of the faith, and it ensures that we can keep publishing top-notch lectures on this podcast. Thanks a lot.